You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. And today we're kicking off Season 5 with Vegas, which originally aired November 2nd, 2003, was directed by Brian Cranston, written by Michael Globerman and Andrew Orenstein. Hi, I'm Jake, and podcasters hate to die in wells. And I'm David, and my best podcast got killed in a restaurant. You'll get over it, eventually. Well, before we get into this week's episode, we have our community segment, starting, as usual, with some poll results. Looking way back on daycare, which for that episode... We both chose Reese as the least shitty kid for pursuing his dreams of flying high above the clouds like the birds. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the internet ended up agreeing with us. Reese won with 50% of the vote, with the remaining votes being split between Francis and Malcolm. Then for shittiest kid... Uh, we also both agreed that it was Dewey, uh, based on his slaughtering of the ants and his little supervillain origin story with Pat from Buffy, and his, like, practicing his, like, speech about not knowing Reese's plan when he saw him drift off into the sky. And the internet also ended up agreeing with us on that one. Dewey got 66% of the vote, <laughs> with Reese and Malcolm splitting that one. Wow. Hmm. Reese. That's gotta be that Josh from Des Moines. Ah, clearly. And we also got an email uh, in regards to our Season 4 wrap-up episode. As Luke wrote in with some of his own choices for the, the awards, for sort of the bigger awards for uh, Season 4. Uh, so he did his season rankings like we did. And he ended up pretty much going along with what we did. I think exactly what we had, actually. Because he went Season 2, then 4, then 3, then 1. Uh, though he did say that uh, for him, season three and one were the hard ones to choose uh, between. And he ended up choosing season three over one based on there being uh, more episodes, which allowed it to have more good episodes than season one. Okay. It was like, yeah, I, th I, th I think you and I were uh, both in agreement that uh, we were struggling between season four and season three in the second place slot. So <laughs> apparently he liked season three a bit less than us. And he also uh, chose his top two episodes for the se for season four, choosing Zoo and Forwards Backwards. And he said he was going to do a top three, uh, but it, he says, I physically can't do a top three or more because my third spot is filled with like five episodes. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's It's hard ranking these, and it's hard ranking the seasons, and it's like, the show's so good. It's rough. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Zoo and Forwards Backwards are solid choices for a, a top two. They're very good. And I, I do always like hearing from uh, listeners and sort of their favorite stuff. It's always interesting to me. And uh, the last little bit of community business is our 
obligatory self-plug, as we have a Patreon now where you can support us directly, which helps us make this show along with all of the other stuff that we make on the internet. And it's also how you gain uh, access to our bonus content, like the Uncaged Nicolas Cage podcast, uh, where we are watching every single Nicolas Cage movie ever made. Uh, Jake, right. it's the secret podcast. Yes, yeah, secret. But I, it's, it's a secret bonus podcast, as opposed to regular bonus podcast. Yeah, exactly. Which I, I think is where uh, I'm going to put up the uh, commentary I did for my 105th consecutive viewing of Groundhog Day. I think I'll, I'll put that up for patrons at any level, so even $1 will get you a uh, bonus episode of just me losing my mind for an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, you need to do more of those, because that is going to be hilarious. I, I, I mean, the issue with doing more is, you know, I have a lot of, like, pent-up observations to go through for the first one. I don't, I don't know, you know, doing it. I don't know how much repetition there would be if I did it multiple. That's fair. I'm curious. I, I feel like give it another 30 viewings. You'll have some stuff to talk about. Uh, maybe. <laughs> also, I do love that we're releasing content that I haven't heard. So I'm going to have to go be that guy who goes and watches our content because I'm curious what your ramblings are. Fair. I mean, to be honest, if I listen to it, I feel like at this point I would be... I wouldn't know what to expect for half of it. That... <laughs> I don't remember what I said. <laughs> Very stream of conscious. Yeah? Just just rambling. But how, like, <laughs> fever dreamy was it? Uh, a little bit. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember, like, saying things and then thinking, that, that's not going to make sense to anyone who's not me. <laughs> Even someone else who has watched the movie 103 times in a row, I don't think would understand this. <laughs> That's awesome. Getting into this week's episode, we of course have a cold open. And this one starts with Hal carrying Jamie, uh, like doing the baby talk, like cooing at him thing. Then uh, Lois... Uh, says that his aunt sent a present for Jamie, uh, but she was hedging her bets as she sent a ballerina outfit and a football. And uh, they, like, mentioned that, you know, Jamie could be a uh, name for either sex, and then they start talking about how, you know, it's so obvious what Jamie is, though. And uh, as they, like, keep going to say it, they, uh, like, keep getting cut off as, like, Hal goes to say it. What does distract Hal? I'm not gonna lie, I don't remember. Yeah, he gets cut off, and then Lois also starts to say it. And then she gets cut off by, uh, the sound of Reese breaking something. Right. And then it just ends with Hal looking down at Jamie and... Say uh, once again, saying you know it's so obvious what you are, and then Jamie starts peeing directly up in the air, <laughs> and uh, Hal just says, "You you knock that off, Mister," which is how they officially reveal the sex of the baby. Then, getting into the main plot lines, we'll of course start with the F plot, and it starts with Francis walking into the grotto covered in oil. And when Piyama asks him what happened, he says, 
Some idiot forgot to top off the uh, tractor oil and blew the entire engine up. And Piyama asks, oh, whose job is that? And Francis just says, mine! <laughs> and Francis sort of starts to complain about how everything on the ranch is falling apart. He says the furnaces are clogged, uh, the generator is out of diesel, and the gate to the cow pen is falling apart. All those things are your responsibility. That's right. Piyama sort of points out that, you know, Otto's very easygoing, but even he has his limits. Then Otto comes out yelling that there's a fire. And when that gets Francis' attention, he says there's a fire uh, on the candle for your cake. And Gretchen comes out with a cake with a little one on it to celebrate his one year at the ranch. As long as Francis has ever willingly stayed anywhere. You're not wrong. Otto says that the, the first few hours of year two are going better than he ever would have expected. <laughs> then we follow Francis as he drives out uh, into the middle of a field on the ranch. And as he like gets out, his radio is crackling as Otto is trying to talk to him, but like breaking up so you, you can't understand what he's saying and neither can Francis. And uh, he's just, you know, reassuring Otto that he's uh, out in the field to f put up a fence around the well uh, so that nothing happens uh, just as soon as he finds it. And of course, as he says that, he steps into the well, falling in, and that's where Otto has been trying to radio him from. <laughs> They're now both stuck at the bottom of this well, just like standing literally nose to nose. <laughs> Quick, Lassie! Go get help, Lassie. Francis fallen in a well and he can't get up. Wait, I think I'm mixing things again. No, that sounds right. <laughs> then we see Otto calling for help from the bottom of the well. <laughs> and he adds that if, if anyone is up there that can hear them but's just very shy, <laughs> he wants to reassure them. <laughs> That they're, they're both very non-judgmental, and then he starts to yell a story about his childhood. Yeah. <laughs> but Francis cuts him off and says, no one can hear you, stop yelling, and let's just think of a way out of this. Then uh, Otto stops yelling, and Francis, like, closes his eyes to think, and when he opens them and Otto is still just staring at him. Francis asks, don't you ever blink? <laughs> <laughs> I Maybe I blink at the exact moment that you blink. <laughs> How could you possibly know that? And Otto says that maybe Francis should spend less time worrying about how much Otto blinks and spend more time putting up fences around the well. Uh, but uh, then after uh, their like, little fight... Uh, you know, continues to escalate. They, uh, Francis, like, ends it by saying that, uh, you know, he's had enough. Uh, if, uh, Otto doesn't like the work that he's doing, then he quits. And he adds as, like, a little, uh, Steiner, now imagine I'm marching away. And Otto just <laughs> says, I did. <laughs> uh, I do love this. It's so good. <laughs> Then the next time we come back to these two, it uh, starts with like a exterior shot, like looking down on the well as it is now nighttime and like in the distance, a coyote howls. 
Then back in the well, they are now standing back to back as they have both turned around. And Francis uh, starts talking to Otto and Otto immediately says, "I th oh, you're still here? I thought you quit. But Francis takes responsibility for what happened. He says, you know, this is my fault. Uh, I was supposed to come out here uh, weeks ago and put this fence up, and I didn't. And he says that he's been sabotaging everything, and he doesn't understand why. And he says that the uh, feeling that, you know, people are relying on him is uh, starting to uh, mess with him. He can't handle the pressure. Otto reassures him, saying that no one expects him to be perfect, and that they... Hired him because he's a hard worker, and when he makes mistakes, he fixes them. Then, he, he like, ends his little pep talk by telling Francis that if falling in a well every now and then uh, is the, the price he has to pay for Francis to work there, then he'll gladly accept it. <laughs> then, Gretchen and Piyama find them, and they, like, call down to the, of. Clearly very relieved to have finally found them after looking all day. And Francis yells up asking how they found them. <laughs> and they just very matter-of-factly say, well, we followed the fire. And when Francis asks what fire, they say that uh, a cow got out from the broken gate on the pen that he didn't fix and knocked over a heat lamp that he never brought inside which set fire to the trail of gasoline from the back of his truck where he left the gas can open. The the chain of events that leads Francis to, or well, I should say leads to Francis and Otto is like that level of craziness and, and like lucky, but also unlucky, I feel like describes most of my life. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> it is also very... It's one of those things that's, like, very in-character for Francis and also really just sells home that Francis is Hal's son. Right. <laughs> so this, this could very easily be a string of events that would happen to Hal as well. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I agree. And Otto just look at, looks at Francis and says, See, and you thought you were a screw-up. <laughs> <laughs> And that wraps the F-plot up. <laughs> then, from there, we will go to the H-plot. The HAL. Look at you naming them the right way. Yeah, I, you know, I thought about it between seasons, and I decided to, you know, the argument's not worth it, I'll go with your naming convention. Uh, this plotline, uh, probably because Brian Cranston was directing the episode, is actually kind of... It's very central, but it's also, like, kind of sparse as far as, like, actual screen time. But... Yeah, sadly, we don't really get a whole lot of Hal. Right? Uh, but it starts with a dream. Uh, Hal is dreaming about, like, crawling up to a giant slot machine... And as he, like, gets up, he notices that there's a weird green stain on his shirt. It's kind of glowing in this, like, dream logic. And this is all happening, like, in just a black void. <laughs> it's worth pointing out. Then a pink balloon floats by. Then Beethoven's uh, Fifth Symphony starts to play. 
And Hal reaches out and pulls the lever, and he wins the jackpot. And as he's, like, cheering and getting very excited, he, like, cuts to reality where Hal is laying in bed, and he has knocked the lamp over on top of himself, and is, like, struggling to get it off. <laughs> then Hal goes to Malcolm and says that... Uh, you know, Malcolm's always reading those science magazines. Uh, what can you tell me about dreams? And Malcolm starts to explain the theory that it's like the manifestations of the subconscious. And Hal says, no, 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 not those kinds of dreams. I mean, prophetic dreams that tell the future. What can you tell me about those? <laughs> I had one. <laughs> That's right. And Malcolm just tells him he's crazy and points out that he always has crazy dreams. Uh, like that, that dream he talked about, about the scene in trash cans. <laughs> Which Hal says, I didn't say that was prophetic, I said it was cool. Right. <laughs> then Hal, like, stares off into the middle distance as he explains that, you know, he can just tell that this dream was prophetic, that it's his destiny. Then... Uh, Hal overhears the word Las Vegas from a conversation between uh, Reese and Dewey that we'll cover in their plot line. And he immediately says, uh, what was that about Vegas? <laughs> and Dewey says, oh, it's just a chance for uh, Reese to humiliate me in front of the entire country. And Hal, clearly ignoring the substance of what Dewey has just said, says... Well, uh, you can be sure that we won't miss that opportunity for you. We're going to Vegas. <laughs> and he explains to Malcolm that he can cash in their life insurance policy. <laughs> and that'll give them the money to go to Vegas. And when Malcolm starts to point out that that's a bad idea, Hal just says, Because gazillionaires don't need a life insurance. It just doesn't make fiscal sense. <laughs> and... He says he just has to present this to Lois in the right way, and she'll go along with it. And then it cuts to Hal just directly lying to Lois as he tells her that he got a $1,000 bonus from work, which, of course, Lois is uh, very happy about, and she's serving a roast dinner special as celebration, uh, both for this and something that happens in another bloodline. But with his lie sold, uh, we then uh, follow the family as they are driving to Vegas. Uh, as they, they get, like, very excited as they're approaching the city. And they're, you know, only eight miles out. Then in true Malcolm in the Middle fashion, it just uh, gives us a shot of them, like, stuck in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. <laughs> Which isn't even a plot point, but I, I like that it's just, like, a given. Right. I like that it's addressed. Right. Then we see them going into a casino and Lois is, uh, you know, talking about uh, how nice it is. Uh, Hal's like carrying Jamie like on his shoulder and Jamie spits up all over his shoulder. And Hal hands Jamie to Lois and uh, asks her to throw him a wipe. And when she does, he like drops it. And this, of course, leads him to like uh, get down on the ground to pick it up. And as he does... And then, like, gets back up to his feet. He realizes he has unintentionally crawled to the, uh, I almost called it a bit. <laughs> oh, wow. The... That's right. I mean, it kind of is in this case. 
<laughs> uh, he like climbs up here, like crawls up to the slot machine, then like starts to piece together. You know, he now has this stain on his shoulder and he's in front of this exact slot machine and he starts looking around and he sees like a couple walking by with a pink balloon and uh, a, a guy at another slot machine starts to like hum Beethoven's fifth. And he reaches out and he pulls the lever and once again, just like his first dream, he wins the jackpot and he's celebrating with Lois and they're both, you know, super excited and he turns to Malcolm and says, what does your science have to say about that? And Malcolm just looks at him and says, oh, well, it says that you're having another dream, dad. <laughs> and Hal uh, looks over to... Uh, the seening trash cans who start seening a song, reassuring him that this is all real. They would never lie to him. That's right. <laughs> uh, which, uh, to, to break away on a tangent. Oh? Th this is specifically is very relatable because I, I have never had a fucking uh, lucid dream. And I have, like, always wanted to experience that. And the closest I've ever come is I started piecing together in a dream that, like, stuff didn't make sense. And I started, I, I said, like, out loud in the dream, like, oh, this must be a dream. That's really cool. And then someone else in the dream proceeded to convince me, I don't remember how, that this wasn't a dream, that this was all real. <laughs> And I believed them and didn't get to have, like, any of the, like, lucid dream experiences people talk about, like, the flying and all of that stuff. Nope. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I can't. I've never had, like, a good lucid dream. Like, I've had dreams where I'm very well, like, aware of what's going on and can react to whatever my brain is creating. But it's never been, like, good. And I've never had, like full control of what's happening or anything i've been well i've been in dreams and well aware that i'm dreaming but still unable to change the bad things happening in the dream gotcha yeah so that, that one that one time's the the only time i've ever like you had anything close to a lucid dream huh. <laughs> my my brain just immediately tricked me <laughs> it's like no 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 this is a joke go back to sleep oh you know what i i remember i remember now what it was that convinced me because yeah. they pointed out that it's like a common thing people say that you can't read in dreams and then they pointed to a sign and went well if this is a dream you wouldn't be able to read that and i could and so i went oh i guess this isn't a dream oh my god <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, you can definitely read and drink. Yeah, no, I've done it many times before that as well. So right? I, like, like, it wasn't even a thing that, like, oh, I believe it. Like, I've heard people say that and went, no, I, I fucking read in dreams all the time. What are you right. talking about? But for whatever reason, my dumb sleep brain was like, oh, yeah, I guess people do say that. That must be true. Look, if enough people say it, Jake. When the uh, singing trash can started singing their song to Hal about trusting them. Like those, those motherfuckers. <laughs> Jesus, Jacob. <laughs> oh my god. That's funny. Uh, I agree, but it's also annoying. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude, I don't remember most of my dreams unless they're like a nightmare or something like that. So, 
Yeah, talk to me about dreams. Ugh. Fair. So I, I'm very much the opposite of that. I, I wake up remembering my dream probably 90% of what. Oh, God. Not me. I don't, like, from my end, I'm well aware of how the brain works. I'm aware that I do dream. Right. But from my end of things, uh, I don't dream. You know, sleep is darkness until you just wake up. Okay. <laughs> I think that's probably part of why I enjoy sleeping and you don't. <laughs> Look, you lay down, your brain shuts off, your body shuts off. I have to wear a little ventilator. You know, it keeps me breathing. And then I wake up and now my body body functions. Sleep is just death. Sleep is is no, I'm sorry. Sleep is like, you know, those game demos that they used to send out. Um, after they realized sending out full video games with cereal boxes was a bad idea. So it started just sending demos. Mm -hmm. Sleep is like that, but for death. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, well, back to the episode. <laughs> Dude, between that and saying I don't have dreams, I sound like the most depressed person in the world. I promise, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm good. <laughs> Except when you're asleep. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm only happy when I'm asleep. That sounds right, yeah. <laughs> asleep or drinking coffee? I've seen you smile while drinking coffee. That's true. Yeah, mostly smugly down your nose at other people, but it's still a smile. Yeah. Yeah. Hal wakes up like in a sweat from this drink. He just like shoots straight up. And immediately starts going into the casinos, frantically looking for this one specific slot machine. Then, uh, we, we then, like, get a couple, like, just brief cuts back to Hal. Uh, the first one's, like, in the middle of the day as he's just, like, running down the strip from casino to casino, still looking for the slot machine. Then the second one is essentially the same thing, and it's Hal, like... Uh, running around a uh, casino, continuing his, like, frantic search, now just, like, completely drenched in sweat. And it's also nighttime at this point, establishing that he's been doing this literally all day. <laughs> then uh, it wraps up at the end of the episode as they are leaving Vegas. And they're, like, at a gas station, and Hal is filling up the tank, and he's talking to the guy, like, at the other tank across from him. Saying that, you know, he tried 90,000, uh, looked at 90,000 slot machines and never found the one he was looking for. And he says that he's giving up on prophetic dreams. That's fair. Hal, maybe you should. You don't need to see what's coming in your future. <laughs> well, his uh, prophetic dream then finally starts to come true as he looks across the street from this gas station and sees like a... Little shitty casino, and, like, very prominently right in the doorway is the giant slot machine from his dreams. And he's so, like, excited and startled by this that, like, as soon as he sees it, he jumps, and he, like, spills the coffee he's holding all over his shoulder, uh, giving him the stain. And, of course, he runs across the street to the casino, and as he walks in, he trips... And, uh, of course, has to, like, crawl up to it, the uh, slot machine. And as he stands up, he once again looks around and he sees a security guard blowing a bubble with some chewing gum. And then a uh, guy at a slot machine 
uh, cell phone starts to ring, and of course it's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and it's all coming true, and the, like, lady who works there offers him a free pull, which he takes, and of course he wins, and uh, as he's, like, pulling it, Lois comes in and asks what's going on, and, and Hal is just, like, elated, uh, screaming that they're rich, and he explains uh, what he did, saying that he he uh, couldn't tell Lois because he knew she would be close-minded about it, but he cashed in their life insurance and uh, you know, used that to come here because of this dream that he had. And when Lois starts to get upset, he says, but th none of that matters because we're rich now. <laughs> and... The lady who offered him the uh, free pull <laughs> gives him his prize for this uh, jackpot, which is a coupon for a uh, two-night stay at a hotel in Carson City, uh, as long as they go to a four-hour presentation about a timeshare. <laughs> Are there slot machines in Carson City? <laughs> uh, dude, that's the shittiest prize ever. Again... Hal's luck in mine, and the by way of Francis's luck as well, is just this felt so real. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a, another bit of a relatability because I, I have a hundred percent done the uh, like timeshare presentation thing for free hotel rooms and, and like shows in Vegas. Oh yeah, so I went to Vegas uh, for my twenty-first birthday with my brother, and uh, that's like that part of how we afforded it. <laughs> Made it <laughs> way cheaper. Fair. But, uh, yeah, it was like a four-hour presentation, which uh, we were very open about with the people there. Like, like, we're not buying anything. We're not at all interested in this. Right. Like, we're we're going to sit here. We're going to, like, meet our end of this uh, thing that we signed up for. But, like, no, don't ask us if we have questions. We don't. Give your spiel, and then we're leaving. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, I have only ever sat through one of those, but it, I, I didn't really even get perks for it. I just got like a free dinner from Poor Boy's Steakhouse. Uh, when we were trying to buy our house, one of the reality groups here in town had like this big presentation to try to get people to buy in and build like new construction with them. And uh, we we weren't even, like, financed or approved yet. We were just, like, shopping around to see, like, what the market was like. Right. Um, <laughs> but we went to this thing and sat through it. It was, like, two hours long. But uh, we got free chicken out of it. But uh, <laughs> uh, not worth the, the time spent. Fair. Uh, I mean, we got two of our three nights for, like, hotel rooms there and two different shows. So it, it, it was worth it for us. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Not for me, sadly. <laughs> Fair. That's why you got to go to Vegas. Right? That's right. Go to Vegas where the real money is and the slot machines. Follow your prophetic dreams and everything will work out. That's what this episode taught you, right? Exactly. Oh, okay. I mean, he won the jackpot. His dream yeah. came true. Exactly, see? <laughs> With that, uh, let's go to the next plot line. The ML plot for Malcolm and Lois. I'll allow it. Okay. And it starts with uh, Lois folding some laundry, 
at the kitchen table while Malcolm is sitting there next to her doing his homework. And Lois complains as she, like, pulls out a pair of Reese's underwear, asking, what does he do to these? And she, like, tries to show Malcolm, but he refuses to look up at it. <laughs> Which is Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, I wouldn't want to see that. I've been around teenage boys. I, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm glad she also did not show us. Yeah. Then Lois uh, notices, like, sticking out of Malcolm's backpack is a, like, paper certificate, which she pulls out and sees that it's a, you know, certificate from the state of uh, scientific achievement. And Malcolm sort of plays it off, uh, you know, saying, uh, hand those things out like candy. It was no big deal. But Lo Lois says that, you know, he should be proud of himself. And then she, like, gets up to leave and says... Uh, and this is, a uh, proof that you don't need that ear piercing that you wanted. <laughs> Which Malcolm just looks up and says, what? <laughs> How exactly? <laughs> then, uh, that, that is the other thing that they're celebrating, uh, at the, uh, with the roast dinner that I already mentioned. In addition to Hal's <laughs> supposed, uh, bonus, she is, uh, celebrating Malcolm getting this certificate. And when she brings that up, Reese asks, Oh, was that what that big ceremony at school was about? <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, gets Lois and Hal's attention. <laughs> and Reese goes on saying, uh, Yeah, the whole school was there, the mayor was there, and then we got out of school early for it. <laughs> and Malcolm starts kicking him under the table, but Reese doesn't understand why. He just says, stop kicking me, Malcolm. I'll get to the news teams. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Lois is upset that Malcolm did not tell them about this. And Malcolm is still trying to sort of play it off, saying it wasn't a big deal. And she's saying, you know, uh, you're not the one who gets to make that decision. And finally, as they like... Continue their back and forth as Lois continues to press that they should have been invited. Malcolm, uh, like, goes into slow motion as Malcolm says, You embarrass me. Stopping, like, halfway through to turn to camera and say that he should probably stop this while he still can. But, of course, he doesn't. Oh, yeah, there's no probably. No, he turns and acknowledges fully, abort, abort. This needs <laughs> to stop. Uh, but he, he doesn't have the self-control to... To make it happen. Which I will say, the uh, not telling parents about the award ceremony thing, another very relatable moment of this episode. Why does that not <laughs> surprise me with you, Jacob? Look, if I tell them about it, they'll make me go to it. Ah, that's fair. That's fair. Especially with, like, ones that were after school. Oh. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... Mm, that's fair. Yeah. I... Dude, I didn't go to my own graduation. I... I wish i would have kind of but like i didn't go to anything so yeah that they my my mom forced me to go to my high school graduation which i did not want to do and that i did not go to my college graduation see be homeschooled then you don't have a high school graduation it's great fair graduation ceremonies are boring uh correct <laughs> therefore we shouldn't have to do them <laughs> <laughs> nice this is a frequent ongoing fight within my family <laughs> Uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> and including, by the way, my mom did not go to her college graduation. <laughs> Fucking weaseled her way out of it. Of course. 
Which made both me and my sister, who didn't want to do them, very upset. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah, also, I could see your mom doing that. Like, no, no, you guys have to go. I don't have to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, getting back to the episode again. Sure, all the times you tripped her on her cane. Bless it. <laughs> that's, that's slightly less mean than it sounds <laughs> uh yeah but i just love to bring it up <laughs> she, she was never hurt during the trippies yes she was hurt before then well yeah not by us <laughs> and by us i mean me my siblings and my dad all of whom frequently tripped her when she had her cane. Oh yeah, you're all bad people. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not like saying you're worse than anyone else. I'm saying you're all bad. Fair. You're the Wilkerson's. Yes. <laughs> this is accurate. God. <laughs> but I'm somehow the villain of this podcast. <laughs> Malcolm's uh, you know, confession that Lois embarrasses him. Like, immediately creates an awkward silence at the dinner table. But then uh, we uh, cut to their trip to Vegas as they are all in the car. And Malcolm is you know, trying to make it up to Lois uh, as he's offering her a strawberry shake, which he knows is her favorite. And uh, she, like, dis dismissively turns him down. And uh, Reese ends up taking the milkshake. Then Lois notices a billboard for Boone Vincent, which she immediately gets very excited for. And when the boys ask who that is, uh, Hal describes him as Lois's boyfriend. <laughs> and talks about how obsessed with him she is. And Lois says that uh, uh, Hal also liked him, but Hal says, No, I was just trying to get you into bed. And then realizing he's in the car with all of the boys says, you know, that time when you were sick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then uh, when they're in Vegas, uh, while Hal is off pursuing his, uh, you know, very specific dream slot machine, Lois is uh, like walking through an exhibit, uh, which will... Cover why she's there in the last remaining plotline. And Malcolm, like, comes up to her and starts trying to talk to her. But she just, like, immediately cuts him off and asks if uh, he found Hal. And when Malcolm says no, she says, that's fine. I went through his wallet before we passed the state line. He can't do much damage with $20 in a library card. I don't know. Depends. <laughs> Little Somebody does she might... know. <laughs> Somebody might need that library card, man. But uh, she's still, like, not looking at Malcolm and sort of snubbing him. And Malcolm, like, very aggressively says, you forced me to do this. And he pulls out two concert tickets and says that he's uh, bought tickets to go see uh, uh, Boone Vincent. And uh, they're going to go to it together. And Malcolm, like, turns to Cameron and says, that actually came out better than I thought it would. <laughs> And, of course, Lois is very excited to go see this guy. And we then uh, follow them to the concert as uh, they, like, go to their seats. And Lois is, like, talking about how uh, good of seats it is. And the lady that they're, like, sharing a table with uh, is 
wearing a uh, concert t-shirt from the Bad Boon Rising concert tour. <laughs> and she uh, greets Lois as a fellow boonatic. <laughs> and uh, then they, like, start uh, bo immediately bonding over how much they love Boone. Uh, this other lady brags about being there when he had his first heart attack on stage. <laughs> God. <laughs> and uh, Lois, like, introduces Malcolm and Jamie. And the other lady introduces her adult son, Joey, who is also apparently very into this Boone guy. Yeah, well, he's a strange cat. Uh, he is. And he, he's another one of those, like... TV actors who's never really been like big in anything. Like I don't know that he's ever had a recurring role in anything. Right, but you see him pop up. Yeah, like all the time. All the time. <laughs> like still. Yep. And I'm, I'm apparently, like looking at his IMDb, apparently he's also like a pretty prolific writer in animation. Huh. It has been since like the '90s. Well, shit. But as far as acting, he's uh, never really had like a breakout thing. <laughs> then. Uh, the concert starts, and uh, Boone starts singing, uh, I'm Coming Up by Pink. <laughs> and Boone is played by David Cassidy, who is most famous as he was, like, the teenage heartthrob in the Partridge family. And then, yeah. like, based on that, had, like, a pretty extended uh, career as, like, a pop singer. Uh, as well as, like, some acting here and there, but he's, like, much more known for, like, aside from the Partridge family, for he had a bunch of, like, minor pop hits in the 70s and 80s. Okay. Yeah, I never knew he did, like, I knew it was the Partridge family thing, but, like, I never knew, I never knew he did music. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, he had, like, a whole solo career, like, based out of the Partridge family. Apparently that's also, like, why the Partridge family ended after only, like, four years, despite being a huge show. Huh. Because he was, like, uh, he's one of those guys who, like, wanted to be, like, a serious musician, but just, like, never made managed to, like, actually make that transition in, like, the public's eyes. So he just, like, kept getting stuck being a pop singer. Gotcha. He uh, starts doing his uh, performance, which is, like, very, like, over-the-top, exaggerated, like, uh, you know, clearly making fun of, like, th this type of, like, washed-up lounge scener that you would, like, go to a Vegas show and see. And uh, Malcolm turns to camera as this is happening and says, uh, the worst part is this is my first concert. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a what a way to go. Yeah, that that is sad. Then uh, making matters worse, Malcolm gets hit in the face with a pair of underwear, and, and like as he like pulls it off and just like looks confused, a lady behind him, who of course is like Lois's age, yells at him saying, "Hey, those aren't for you. Pass it forward." <laughs> Then the next time we come back to this plot line, Boone is uh, singing a cover of Papa Don't Preach by Madonna, which is complete with the background dancers are wearing, like, prosthetic, like, pregnancy stomachs. And he has changed the line, I'm keeping my baby, to she's keeping my baby, and then all of the backup singers sing, we're keeping his baby. 
Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's so weird. And, uh, like, the other lady that's, like, sharing their table is on her son's shoulders, like, cheering loudly. And Lois is up, standing on the table, dancing. Well, Malcolm just looks horrified <laughs> by all of this. Rightfully so. He turns to Jamie and pleads for him to have a dirty diaper or to vomit or scream or something to get them out of here. But it doesn't work. And Lois is invited to come backstage after the show to meet Boone. Which, of course, she is super excited about and uh, says, uh, uh, tells Malcolm... Yeah, you just tried to be embarrassed by me after this, sto uh, after telling people this story. <laughs> then we see uh, them, like, standing in front of Boone's dressing room, where another woman, like, comes out and is very excitedly saying, He touched my shoulder! Then another lady goes in and, uh, like, comes out with an autograph, all the while, like, Lois is getting more and more hyped up to meet this guy. When they do finally meet, Lois tells him, uh, like, which one of his songs is her, her favorite, and he immediately says, uh, you know, that, that's my favorite too, and no one's ever told me that before. Huh. Uh, which, of course, um, immediately just further endears Lois to him as she goes into the dressing room, and, like, as they're going in, uh, Boone, like, looks at Malcolm and does, like, a little tongue click and, like, finger guns at him as he goes in. <laughs> And we get a time lapse as Malcolm is waiting with Jamie outside of this dressing room. Uh, just sort of indicating that they've been waiting for an extended period. And Malcolm uh, decides, you know, we've been waiting here for too long. I'm going in. I don't care what I see. Then he, like, takes one step and goes, who am I kidding? Yes, I do. And chickens out. <laughs> apparently Malcolm thinks she is having an affair. Yes. He, he thinks unspeakable things are happening in that room. Yes. Then uh, in the room, we see that actually Lois and Boone are, uh, like, uh, drinking some, uh, looks like champagne, and Lois is telling Boone about her situation with Malcolm, about him being embarrassed of her, and uh, Boone <laughs> shares his words of wisdom, <laughs> which are... Like, just him talking in, like, the most generic platitudes possible, which is great. <laughs> he tells Lois, you know, when I'm wearing my astronaut suit, I like to say, the children are our future. <laughs> <laughs> and Lois says, yeah, I think that too, just, like, eating it up. And he, like, goes over to, like, touch up his makeup and his hair. Uh, which includes, like, using a face shield when he, like, blows out his hair. And he tells Lois that, you know, uh, this is completely normal, and he says that uh, even his 14-year-old is embarrassed of him, if you can believe it. Which, of course, Lois is shocked by. <laughs> and uh, Boone gives her some more words of wisdom as he says that, uh, you know, she can't live in the past. She has to... Focus on the future, or on the present, uh, and, you know, uh, the present moment is a gift. That's why he calls it present. Oh my god. Yeah, dude, these lines are like, oh my god. <laughs> Bruh, stop. Then, 
where we like go to the uh end of the episode which we've already covered with the age plot as they're uh, at the gas station getting ready to leave and uh, Lois and Malcolm are walking out of the gas station and Lois is thanking Malcolm for the concert and uh, she starts to tell him that you know don't tell how but when I met him my knees started to then Malcolm just covers his ears <laughs> and tries to drown out whatever she's saying <laughs> Then in the car, Malcolm turns to camera and starts uh, talking about how uh, this weekend was a total loss. But uh, his mind is already starting at defense mechanism of uh, blocking out everything that happened this weekend. <laughs> but then we uh, see that falling apart as Lois, who is uh, upset with Hal about the life insurance stuff. Says that she's uh, not going to talk to him until she has something to say about it. And she puts in her cassette of Boone singing Feels Like Making Love by Bad Company. <laughs> Which, of course, just makes Malcolm look completely disgusted and horrified again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is it for this plotline. That leaves only one remaining plotline which I have dubbed the Doctor Plotline, because it's D&R. Wow, no, it's the R-plot for Rabbit. God. No, it has to include the characters, Dave. Why? It's all about the Rabbit. No, no, it's the Doctor Plot. Then it's the G-plot, because it's all about Gordo. Well, speaking of Gordo, that's where we start. It's like, after the cold open, the first shot is just of Gordo, who is a morbidly obese Rabbit. Who is, like, every time we see him stuffed into, like, a carrying crate. And, uh, Reese is feeding him his afternoon bacon. <laughs> Which, uh, Dewey is upset about as he, like, comes outside to confront him, saying that Gordo is too fat. Dewey says that, you know, uh, Reese is the one fattening him up, but Dewey is the one who has to, uh, take him, uh, to, uh... The, uh, I think he calls it the Junior Ranchers meetings. I think so. Or uh, when, when Reese says, uh, you know, the, the simple-minded can't understand what we're doing here. Dewey says, what are we doing here? <laughs> uh, to which Reese aptly responds, I don't know. <laughs> he says he has a vision of riding Gordo through the streets, uh, knocking cars over. But that's probably not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he acknowledges his delusion. Well, he, he learned in the season finale last time <laughs> not to follow his dreams so literally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it did not work out well for him. That is fair. <laughs> then uh, the next time we come to this plot line, we see Dewey uh, bringing Gordo in, crying, and he once again confronts Reese. As uh, Reese asks, you know, how his meeting went, and Dewey says that they called Gordo a monster, and they called Dewey a crime against nature. Or maybe it was the other way around. All I remember is I was crying. <laughs> Poor Dewey. And Reese uh, reassures him, saying they'll understand when we go to Nationals. And Dewey says we're not going to Nationals, it's all the way in Las Vegas, which is where Hal comes in. <laughs> Uh, having uh, heard this and using it as an excuse to follow his dreams. That's right. Literally. Yes. And then uh, at the dinner table, 
uh, in the uh, scene where uh, you know Malcolm says that he's embarrassed of Lois. The the only thing we get is a little like as, as they're sitting in the awkward silence. Reese just like leans over and whispers to Dewey, "Save your fat for Gordo." <laughs> Then we get another, like, little aside like that as uh, Malcolm tries to give Lois the milkshake. When she refuses it, Reese says he'll take it and starts feeding that to Gordo as well. <laughs> then uh, when they're going into the casino, in what turns out to be the second dream sequence, we also get a little aside as a guy, like, passing by gives Reese a dirty look seeing Gordo. And Reese just turns to him and says, what, you've never seen an 80-pound rabbit before? <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine many people have. Fair. But then uh, we go to the Nationals, where Reese is making fun of all the other rabbits there, talking about how small they are. I bet this one could fit in Gordo's mouth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and when he, like, sarcastically says, what are these people even doing with them? Dewey says, oh, I don't know, probably hugging them and loving them and playing with them and watching them hop outside, which they can do because their feet can reach the ground. <laughs> <laughs> then the judge comes over and upon seeing Gordo is immediately disturbed, is asking, my God, what have you done to this rabbit? And saying it's the uncutest thing he has ever seen in his career as a judge. Then he tells Dewey he should be ashamed of what he's done to this poor animal, and he slaps a disqualified sticker on Gordo's little carrying game. Then we see a downtrodden Dewey uh, sitting at a table next to, like, a middle-aged woman while learning his name Crystal. <laughs> and Dewey uh, turns to her and asks, Have you ever had a dream that didn't come true? And she, like, thinks for a second, and she just says, surprisingly, no! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Reese comes rushing in, and he explains that uh, he's figured out what the problem was, why Gordo wasn't winning any contests, because they had him in the wrong category. They had him in the pet rabbit category, they should have had him in the market category. <laughs> He says he uh, showed Gordo to a guy and they gave him first place and offered to buy him for $1.90 per pound. We made like $150. God. And he says the guy who bought it is uh, Shay Richard, which Dewey <laughs> points out like immediately, that's the restaurant right over there. You sold him to a restaurant. They're going to kill and eat him. I like that Dewey has a better grasp of, of like... French than Reese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was some guy named Chaz Richard. <laughs> then uh, Dewey, like, gives a little speech about how, you know, Reese has uh, sold off to be eaten Gordo after fattening him up, and Gordo was his best friend in the entire world. And Reese, like, uh, now, now that it's all been spelled out for him, says, Mine too! And that's where your op uh, intro line comes from, <laughs> as Crystal turns to them and reassures them, <laughs> saying that uh, her best friend was uh, killed in a restaurant. You'll get, you'll get over it. <laughs> but uh, Reese and Dewey enact a plan to 
save Gordo. Reese is going to cause a distraction in the restaurant so Dewey can sneak into the kitchen and steal Gordo back. Then uh, we see Reese starting his uh, distraction as he like walks over to a table and grabs a breadstick and like takes a big bite and then starts pretending to choke. And then, like, when no one notices, he starts, like, pretending to choke much more loudly until everyone, like, frantically starts to gather around him. And uh, a, like, lady starts uh, trying to give him the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> then, uh, Dewey sneaks into the kitchen and tries to grab Gordo, but he is too heavy for Dewey to lift. <laughs> then, uh, we start getting, like, a back and forth as Dewey is trying different methods to get Gordo out while Reese is going through, like, an escalation <laughs> of, uh... The people doing a Heimlich maneuver on him is like the initial lady gets like turned aside as a guy says she's not doing it hard enough and like starts doing it uh, much harder, like lifting Reese off the ground. And then a third guy comes in and says, I'm bigger, I'll try. And just like starts grabbing Reese and like throwing him around essentially. <laughs> And meanwhile, in the kitchen, Dewey tries to put Gordo on a cart, but the cart immediately breaks. <laughs> then <laughs> he tries to put Gordo's, like, uh, travel cage on a, uh, like, tablecloth and drag it, but it's still too heavy. Then the last thing we see Dewey try is he, like, coats the floor in butter and then, like, tries to pull it, still using uh, the tablecloth, but he still can't do it. <laughs> and... It just cuts to them, uh, specifically it cuts to Dewey, apologizing to uh, presumably the restaurant manager. <laughs> well, you know, they had a lot of stuff going. <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> <laughs> He's like apologizing for their behavior and saying that he understands they'll never be able to make up for the broken table or the fire or the paramedics. Or that guy who was actually choking who no one noticed. <laughs> and as uh, Dewey is like apologizing and saying all of this, Reese is sitting next to him with just like his arms held up, like still wincing in pain. <laughs> uh -huh. Then at the end of the episode, uh, in the car, we see uh, Dewey trying to feed Gordo some rabbit pellets. And Gordo is refusing to eat them. And Dewey's sort of pleading with him, telling him he has to lose weight. And uh, Reese tries his hand at getting Gordo to eat these pellets. But uh, as he's, like, uh, reaching his fingers into the cage uh, with the pellets, he, like, cuts it on the cage. And he gets some blood on the food, which gets Gordo to start eating it. <laughs> and they realize that Gordo likes the taste of Reese's blood. <laughs> so Reese like sticks his finger into the cage and just tells Dewey, if I black out, pull my finger out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, this rabbit later gets released in the uh, hillside of England and takes out some knights. It's a tragic story. Then <laughs> so tragically for Gordo as they deploy the holy hand grenade of Antioch. That's right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor Gordo. Uh, right. <laughs> I I hate the idea of actually doing this to a rabbit, but I love this joke. Like this, yes, this plotline is so funny. 
yes, a as a fictional conceit, very funny. If someone does this in real life, they're a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is why this is so funny, because they keep pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that wraps up all of the plot lines, so let's go to our awards. Bum, bum, bum. Awards. And as usual, we will start with our Roller Skating Keen Award, our award for the best visual moment. What did you choose for this one? The well, but specifically the scene right as, like, Francis falls in. I love the way that they set it up. I love... The, um, you know, they, they didn't try to push themselves. They didn't try to be like, oh, we need to show Francis falling in. Like you get the, you get the falling sounds off screen. You get the cut to the cover of the well. And then, but my favorite part is that first scene where it just, it then pans down to see Francis and, uh, Otto like face to face staring at each other. And Otto's just very, flat delivery of can you hear me now uh <laughs> so funny i loved it so much and i love the way they did that scene yeah fair enough it was, it was very well done I, I do like uh really like how much they got out of this plot line for it just being like two guys essentially standing in a closet together right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> also i love the way they shot it too because like right uh, the the just like zooming in and cutting everything out and so like you can't see really the other stuff so you you know yeah they're definitely in the well yeah you can't prove they're not yeah fair enough that that was one of three that I was considering and since you took that one I will give it to the scening trash cans in that second dream sequence. <laughs> And it's another thing that's, like, just very simple. It's just, like, some trash cans set up, and they clearly, like, attached some wires to the tops of them or just, like, occasionally lifting them. Right. To, like, just create, like, the, the like, very general impression that they're, like, talking about. Like, it's a very simple effect, but it's very funny and well done. It is. It's super funny. <laughs> I loved it. And moving on to our next award, what did you give your Hot Dog with Mustard Award? Your award for the best line. Yeah, this is one. There's always so many good lines, man. Um, but I ended up giving it to another auto moment. Um, <laughs> when he tells Francis, if I wanted perfection, I would have hired a robot or a speed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's just so funny. It is. <laughs> I love Otto. Dude, I'm going to be sad when this character is not in the show anymore. Yeah, yeah, it is sad. I know, this is the last season with Kenneth Mars, isn't it? Yep, it sure yeah, is. Yeah, that sucks. Dude, Kenneth Mars was so great. There's so much talent on this show. You're not oh wrong. <laughs> God. Ugh, awesome. Uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was also my first choice for Hot Dog with Mustard. But <laughs> uh, since you took that, I will go with my backup. Uh, which is the Hal line when he's uh, explaining his his lie to Lois. And no. Explaining why he got his bonus. He says, uh, when she says, wow, I, I can't believe they gave you a thousand dollar bonus. He says, well, that's nothing compared to the 12 million I saved them. But with my idea to outsource our flux capacitors. <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately he only saved them gigawatts. God. Oh, uh, dude, that Back to the Future reference was perfect. 
<laughs> it was. <laughs> Especially because, like, Brian Cranston really sells it of, like, how, like, figuring out halfway through what he's saying. Like, it right. dawning on him why he knows this phrase. <laughs> uh. Uh, and, uh, moving on to our next award. What did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. Uh, so for a moment when they are getting ready to leave Vegas, um, they stop at a gas station. And uh, in the back, you see a sign for Mini Mart. The gas station is a Mini Mart. Mm -hmm. So my OK Boomer Award is Mini Mart being Mini Mart. Damn it. Huh, <laughs> <sighs> yeah, did I take yours? You sure did. Yes! Spent uh, way too much time at a specific <laughs> mini-mart growing up. Right? <laughs> so I, I grew up, like, in... If, if we lived, lived in, like, a major city, I guess what would be a suburb? <laughs> but Right. But because we're in Wyoming, it's, like, a couple trailer courts... <laughs> <laughs> with a mini mart like in the middle that we would frequently go to because it's like the only thing the only like store yeah well we've talked about it before in uh season one which um, i only remember because my wife has recently started listening to this ep these episodes fair. and i'm very afraid <laughs> i assume we were bringing up that we used to turn off their uh light all the time yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> from what i'm aware of because she uh, said something about it. <laughs> gotcha. That that or uh, talking about going there after midnight because they would give us the free hot dogs. That's right, because we could get them instead of the trash can. That's right. <laughs> Dude, we ate. That's how we ate a couple times. Way too often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that That's one of those things that, like, remembering back on is like, oh, yeah, I did grow up super poor <laughs> right <laughs> i dude i remember a week where that was all we ate yeah 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 uh, yeah <laughs> for every meal oh my god yep <laughs> yeah yeah oh man i remember oh god yeah because that was the week your mom was down she'd had one of her surgeries and your sister wasn't there so like nobody wanted to fucking cook and so you, me, and Willie ended up just going down there like every night and getting just a shitload of hot dogs. Yeah, that that was like a legitimate like thing. Like, like sometimes we would just be like, "Oh, it's two in the morning," and we you know we're dumb kids who are hungry, so we'd go down. There, there were other times where I was like, "My parents would send me down because we needed food." Right. <laughs> God. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I grew up as poor as we actually did. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's, it's stories like that where it's like, oh, right. <laughs> we weren't just, like, poor. We were, like, really fucking poor. Right. <laughs> God. Yeah. But back to the awards, since you took the uh, mini-marts. My backup was just the very simple. It's that Lois had a cassette for her favorite musical artist. And that they had a cassette player in their car. Fair. Fair enough. Because, yeah, who uses cassettes? I mean, come on. And uh, moving on to our next award, uh, which of these plot lines did you choose as the A plot of your heart? I chose the R plot for the rabbit. No, the doctor plot. Yeah, R plot. Yeah, doctor. For... No. D-R. 
You're G plot for Gordo. I'll, I'll, I'll accept Dirge plot, the DRG plot. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. You're wrong. You're wrong. No. I, I literally went to the system <laughs> you wanted. And you're still bitchy. <laughs> Did I want that system? I, I feel like you're still doing it wrong, though. What? <laughs> like, our plot is what I would have called it last season. And you would have lied about that. No, Jake, I wouldn't have, because it's called the R-plot for Rabbit. I hate you. You're the worst. I don't understand why. <laughs> this is a very simple naming convention to follow, Jake. <sighs> I love how angry you get over just such simple things. You're the fucking worst. <laughs> Every time I offer it all a branch, you just slap it out of my fucking hands. I know who I am, Jake. <laughs> I'm dying over here. Okay, well, why did you choose that plotline as your favorite, David? Uh, for one, it had my backup uh, visu favorite, vi favorite visual moment, which is the... Uh, scene of Dewey trying to get Gordo out of the kitchen with like the sheet and the cart and the butter and just the, the chaos that ensued there. Right. Um, also just poor Gordo. You got to save the rabbit, but it's just, I don't know. The antics are hilarious. I love also Dewey's just <laughs> calm and collected apology. I'm sorry about this and the fire and, the, and the real dude who was joking. It just lists off everything. It's like, oh, it's so funny. Oh, and I feel like between that and just feeling so bad for Dewey and his poor love for this little bunny, I just I I love this plotline. It was it was really funny. It was, and I, I do think it's also worth mentioning. I, I do really like how they did Gordo. Yeah, but like clearly what they did is they just like took a rabbit and like had its head poked through, but like that. Uh, bunch of just like fluff that they've made like look like a just fat fucking rabbit in this like carrying case it's why you never see him out of it yep yeah, but it does look really good it does it looks great <laughs> poor gordo yes but i do also like just love well like reese like just being so completely oblivious to like all of the shitty stuff he's doing in this episode Right? Yeah, he, he has no clue why this is bad. Yes. <laughs> and uh, moving on to our next award, who did you choose as your favorite character? I gave this, uh, my most liked character vacillated between a couple of them, but I ended up giving it to Otto because I just, I love Kenneth Mars. I love the scene in the well, especially knowing, like, the way that they filmed it, like realistically, these guys are literally just actually like face to face on right. some like platform somewhere or a stage or like some back scene little room in the studio that they just cram these guys into. <laughs> I just I love it. It was is great. He's such a good actor. He delivers his lines so well. Um, you see, you know, this little twinge of like anger and upset in him you get to see the hopeful crazy insane auto and you also get to see like wholesome sweet fun auto and i i love it yeah i also chose auto as my favorite character he just 
This has so many fucking good lines, too. Yeah. Like, my, my, my intro line, the, the actual version of it is he just yells, Germans hate to die in wells, which is just yeah. such a fucking great line. So funny. I, it's, dude, It this is just pure comedy. I love those little one-offs from him, man. It's just so good. Yeah. That, I don't I don't understand how there are people who don't like Otto. It it makes no sense <laughs> to me. There are people who don't like Otto? Yeah. How? Otto is I, the greatest. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> right? Dude. So funny and so lovable. My perfect F plot is if we can get like Otto and somehow bring back Spangler and have both of them in the F plots. That would be great. Right? <laughs> <laughs> So you have the best supporter and then the best villain. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to our next award. Uh, who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting? Um, As much as I would love to give it to Kenneth Mars, and I did consider it, I actually ended up giving it to Justin Burfield. Okay. Partly because of the scene in the um, diner, because that was excellent. The the whole grabbing the bite of bread and and pretending to choke and then the uh you know being thrown around by the the adults and the bigger guys and then the scene afterwards where he's trying to like you know still twitching from all of the pain and as you see like his face change and stuff but also just i i love uh watching how well he portrays sort of these you know kind of like how catching himself saying something dumb in the middle of a sentence that you see Brian Cranston do like Justin Burfield gets to do that, but slightly different because Reese is on a much bigger delay than how yes. you get to watch him do that after someone explains to him yeah. why he's an idiot. <laughs> um, but I just, I love to see that. And I, I love the, even from the very beginning where they're feeding it to him and, and you know, talking about how their small minds can't understand it, and then it cuts back after Dewey asks, what are we doing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and that just little subtle look down, it just, it, it's so funny. Um, and I, I think he does a really good job, um, and I think a lot of the times we overlook him because he's just being such a little shit, but uh, I, I really enjoyed him in this episode and uh, thought he deserved it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I gave my Cloris Leachman awards to Frankie Munez, mostly for his ability to just, like, mostly through, like, looks at the camera to convey just, like, that teenage parental embarrassment so well and so consistently throughout all of the concert stuff. It's <laughs> <laughs> just that, like, perfect mix of, like, secondhand... And first-hand embarrassment, along with just, like, his disgust at what he's seen. <laughs> Which is perfectly reasonable, given how fucking weird this concert is. <laughs> uh, but that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid. Sure does. Uh, who did you choose as least shitty kid? You know, this might shock you, but I actually chose Reese. Okay. Listen, I know that what he is doing to Gordo is is wrong, but he isn't aware of that. Not really. 
and you see him grow not only attached to this rabbit, but also kind of grow a conscience as to what he's doing and helping Dewey go launch this elaborate plan to return Gordo and bring him back and save his life because he didn't want Gordo to die. He had to save the rabbit's life. Um, And he went through and endured extreme pain, extreme hardships, uh, in order to allow Dewey to have time to retrieve Gordo. Um, While their plan was a failure, I don't think that that has anything to do with his intentions or how shitty or unshitty of a kid he was, just how skilled Dewey was at, you know, rabbit retrieval. Their plan may not have been good, but it was moral. Okay. Uh, I chose Dewey as least shitty kid. Okay. Because he's, you know, trying to curtail Reese's uh, fattening up of Gordo. Which obviously he can't physically stop Reese, but he's uh, attempting to get through to him. Although he's unable to. And he's always clearly you know, loves Gordo and is trying to take care of him. And is the, the one who, you know, has to uh, actually get Reese to understand what he's done. He's, he's sort of the moral guide for Reese at the end of the episode. Sort of guiding him through uh, why what he's done is so wrong. Uh, and, uh, is uh, you know, it's uh, r- rough seeing him so sad this whole episode because of a certain something. Yeah, poor Dewey. Poor Reese. Poor Dewey. And who did you have as shittiest kid, David? I mean, I don't know why you say it like that. You had a little bit of an inflection and in a tone in your voice. I don't really don't really appreciate just, that. Just asking the question. Uh-huh. Um, well, I chose the clearly shittiest kid. I chose Malcolm. Okay. Why, why'd you choose Malcolm? I mean, one... He besmirches Lois's character by assuming that because she went into a room alone with another man that she was having an affair and cheating on Hal. How dare he assume that? That is that is absolutely asinine, but also completely disrespects his family and no real decent and actual apology by uh, hiding his accomplishment and telling them that they all embarrass him, uh, which is just rude and unnecessary. And then there's also his freaking behavior at the concert, which is he is doing this supposedly to, uh, you know, as an apology for his mom, but then he is just a little shit the whole time. Granted, I'll give you him being assaulted by the one lady's underwear. That's gross, and I would be weirded out by that too random people throwing your underwear at you no not cool um but the rest of it shitty <laughs> i i will give you the him assuming lois is having an affair and i i also like marked him off some points for if he does believe this is genuinely what happened not telling how right but the rest of that is ludicrous <laughs> no not even close and there's clearly uh, shitty. There's there's actually two shittier kids in this episode. It's initially leaning towards Francis for causing this massive fire that d- did who knows how much damage. Right. But then, after the episode, it's convinced by your wife who watched with us that in yeah, fact the shittiest kid in this episode was Reese. No. No, he wasn't. 
he he fattened this rabbit up to an unhealthy level, uh, which I spoiler we're not gonna see Gordo again, which has some pretty dark implications. Yeah, because he sold it to the restaurant. No, they have him at the end of the episode. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's uh, probably not for long because of Reese. Who also yeah, okay. is, even as Dewey is expressing that all of the stuff he's doing is, uh, you know, harming not just Gordo, but Dewey. Even when Dewey comes home crying, Reese ignores all of that and just continues right along for his own little flight of fancy. Oh ma- making Dewey miserable. You making are the, just this rabbit unhealthy. Here. You are reaching. Then he... Sells Gordo. I'll, I'll give you. He d- didn't know what he was doing, but he sells Gordo to be killed and eaten. Then, rather than going to them and returning their money and being like, "I I didn't realize what was going on. I want my rabbit back." He enacts a plan to steal the rabbit while keeping the money for himself. But like the, your big like, oh, Reese has this big moral moment at the end of the episode. Is him enacting a theft? No, it's not. Yes, it no, is. It's not. No, it is not. Not even close. Yes. No. Reese clearly shittiest kid. Not even close. Indisputably. No, I'm disputing it, so it's definitely disputable. Well, yeah, but there's no reasonable dispute. Wow. <laughs> uh, no, not even close. You are so far off, babe. But, I mean, I get it, because, you know, you can't admit the truth. You can't agree with me. The start of a season. I get it. I know. You want to start. You're you're mad at me for the little slap bet last night. You're mad at me for, you know, telling you that you don't have the naming conventions right. I don't understand why you want to take your inadequacies inadequacies out on Reese. That seems a little unfair. Look, everything (laughs) you said is true, but it did not in any way influence this decision. <laughs> like I, I, your your wife made a compelling case against Reese, and I, I, I found it convincing. No, she didn't. She didn't say any of that crap you just said. She said most of it. I mean, I, I obviously, you know, added my own opinions on top of it as well. I mean, Reese was already second place for shittiest kid behind Francis in my mind. This just, you know, bumped him up to first instead of second. Malcolm Malcolm's distant third. No, Malcolm is clearly the shittiest kid. That's insane. If nothing else, then for thinking Lois would uh, cheat on Hal, and then also thinking that happened, and then not telling Hal. Shittiest kid. Nah. Yeah, shittiest kid. Yeah, 100%. (sighs) Malcolm's slander continues. Uh, It's not slander if it's true. (laughs) All right, well, let's uh, close out our awards and go to the Cranston Connection. Uh, which is my job this week. And I feel like we don't explain this enough for new listeners, but the Cranston Connection is where right. <laughs> we uh, make connections between all of Brian Cranston's characters who we firmly believe are all the same character. Or at least uh, some iteration of the same character. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, multiple theories uh, involving, you know, uh, split personalities and clones in the multiverse, but it's always some version. And uh, this week we have a a pretty obvious one, uh, because as we all know, Hal will eventually become Walter White in Breaking Bad. And when he does, uh, his lie that he tells, like, his extended family as to how he has come into all of this money suddenly, 
uh, is he tells them that he has a gambling addiction and that he has developed this uh, gambling system, this card counting system that uh, has allowed him to er win all of this money gambling, but he's, you know, had to stop because it was an addiction. And uh, that lie, uh, like, goes over very well with, like, his extended family, and he really sells it. And the reason he was able to sell it so well is because of the events of this episode. Because as we all know, any good lie has a basis in truth. And we do see Hal here having an addictive, uh, sort of manic desire to find this one specific slot machine. And, uh, clearly it has caused, like, a familial strife, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, ties into his lie he tells in Breaking Bad. That's also sort of a explanation for why he's been having marital problems with his wife, along with all of the money coming in. And so he understands how a gambling addiction can do that, and he also understands, because of what he thought was going to happen, how, you know, this gambling could potentially pay off, but still be ultimately harmful. And yeah, okay. That makes total sense. I buy it. Okay, excellent. Then, uh, that just leaves one last segment. David's Guessing Game. Uh-huh. Which, uh, you did really well on this week. You, uh, obviously, you, uh, guessed that they would take a vacation to Vegas, which, uh, you know, obviously, that that's what happened. Right. Uh, then, as far as more specific stuff, you thought that it would be focused on Hal being the only one gambling, and you even, like, threw out that maybe Hal would win, like, a, a big jackpot, which he does win a jackpot, technically. <laughs> right. <laughs> and when you were trying to guess what uh, Lois and the boys would be up to, you made a pretty vague guess that they would go to a, like... Uh, you described it as a quote-unquote weird Vegas show. <laughs> Which is definitely what came true. Uh, you did dismiss the idea of them going to see a scener, I think because you were assuming they would, like, if they went that way, they would bring in, like, a one-to-one -one sort of person playing themselves, like, cameo route. Yeah, I uh, did, yeah. Yeah, 100%. You know, which you, th you then dismiss, saying, no, nah, they, they wouldn't do it that way. Which you were correct, but it did end up being, like, a uh, scener that they went to. Right. Uh, but I did give you a partial bonus credit because one of your examples of a weird Vegas show that you threw out was uh, th those, like, big, like, petting zoo competitions they do. Yep. Uh, which is kind of close to what uh, Dewey and Reese were doing, so I gave you a few extra points for that. Oh, thanks. And so that's going to bump you up to a 98%. Yeah! Boom. Starting off strong. It. And what do you think is going to happen in next week's episode, Watching the Baby? Huh. Watching the Baby. I assume that Lois has to, like, get stuck at work or something, you know, because we know she's back to work now. Um, and we know that occasionally she gets stuck working super late. Um, and I am going to go out on a limb and say that, like, Hal and one of the boys, because I feel like all four of them could handle the baby, but I feel like maybe like Hal and like a Dewey or like a Hal and a Reese situation um, end up stuck watching the baby and taking care of the baby, you know, and as a dad, like it takes Hal a little while to like adjust maybe. And I think like Dewey, if, if it's Dewey, I think we're going to see him like step up 
and like be more mature and like take care of the baby and like rock it and tell its stories, sing to it, whatever, you know, stuff like that. Feed it a bottle, you know, like do all the things you do for babies. Um, if it's a Reese route, I feel like we're going to have an episode with like Hal and Reese both like constantly panicking and everything they do just like compounding worse and worse uh, while they try to take care of this child. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I I don't know which way it's going to go. I feel like both options are, are just as viable, you know? Yeah, I'll, I'll allow it. I don't think it's going to be Malcolm. I really don't. Because okay. um, honestly, I don't I don't think it's a good episode if it's Malcolm. Because I think Malcolm, for as shitty and as like self-absorbed as he is, I think he has the intelligence and the awareness to take care of a kid, at least for a couple hours. Yeah, he's the only one of the boys who's competent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I have no clue what Malcolm's going to be fucking up doing this. Not even going to guess. But uh, I I feel like it's going to be a Reese or a Dewey thing. And then maybe with like Hal there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe Hal's off on the side. Maybe Hal's. Um, I could see Hal having to like, you know, especially in the like Reese timeline. I could see Hal doing the like, you know, frantic. Oh, shit. How do I make a how do I make a bottle? How much of this do I put in? How much do I mix? Oh, God, we're out of everything. Where do I buy diapers? Where do I buy wipes? Like, you know kind of reliving those first-time dad panic moments. Gotcha. Um, you know, because it's what? Dewey's, what, like 10 now? Uh, Ish, yeah. I can't even imagine going 10 years in between kids. Fair. That would, yeah, no. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm definitely going to go with that route. I, I, I think Hal is going to, you know, be involved somehow, and there's definitely going to be those, like, you know, Hal, Brian Cranston panic moments that we love, but I, I just, I don't know if it's going to keep compounding and get crazier and crazier with Reese or if it's going to be like a Dewey grows up kind of episode. Okay. I, I'm fine with you uh, taking like the, the two potential tracks for this. Okay. Well, that's, that's my guess. Okay. Well, that wraps this episode up. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you would like to support us monetarily, you can do so on patreon where we are let's play death ray and we also have a merch shop up where you can buy some uh life is unfair merch including the shittiest and or voted shittiest and voted least shitty kid shirts uh and some hoodies and all kinds of neat stuff uh, which the links to both the merch shop and the patreon are in the episode descriptions as well and if you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com or on Twitter where we're unfair underscore podcast. Absolutely. And I want to give a, a quick shout out to our uh, super fan, Eric, for uh, designing some of the art for some of the Life is Unfair uh, merch. That is awesome. We love it when you guys send us fan art and stuff that you've made or cool articles or anything like that. So please. Keep hitting us up on Twitter. Keep sending us emails. We absolutely love it. A hundred percent. And if you guys enjoy the banter back and forth here and the fun that we have here, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray where we stream live video games and interact with chat live every night except for Friday and Saturday nights at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can catch myself, Jake, and our roommate, Kyle. And in general, it's a ton of fun. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Life is unfair.